going to start in Matthew 21 this morning. We will briefly look at some of the other accounts of what is often referred to as the triumphal entry when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem here for this final week of his life. The other gospel accounts, if you want to make a note of this study this week, are found in um, Luke chapter 19 and Mark chapter 11 and in John chapter 12. The accounts are very similar. However, there are some details that you may see in one and not the other. We'll look at a couple of those details today. Matthew chapter 21, we will start in verse 1, and Lord willing, we will read through verse 9. Matthew 21, let us pray, and we'll begin. Father God, we come to you today, and I thank you for the privilege we have to come here and listen to you. God, I thank you for the privilege that I have to be able to share your word. But dear Lord, there is no good that will come today if it does not come from you. So God, let the words that come from my mouth come from your Holy Spirit, dear Lord. I pray that your word that people see on the pages of, of our Bibles, God, that your word does the work in our life because, God, that is the only thing that can do the work in our life. God, if it does not come from you, it does not, it does not occur. So, God, I pray that as we read these scriptures, maybe even a scripture that, that some have read hundreds of times, but, God, perhaps there are some in this room today that have never read this passage. But, God, regardless of whether it's our first time to hear it or our 100th time to hear it, God, let it be good to us. God, let us be reminded of who Jesus is, dear Lord. We need to be reminded of that often. So, God, I pray that as we approach this season we call Easter, dear Lord, that, we've, that we see Jesus, dear Lord, that we are reminded of Jesus. God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that you take away any fear or pride that I may have. And, God, that every word that's spoken today will be for your glory. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 21 Verse 1, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Here the scene is set for us. Jesus had come into this world for one purpose. He came into this world to be the savior of this world. He came to do the work of the Father as he frequently prays and we see throughout the scriptures. Jesus is about the will of the Father. And what a beautiful thing that God has looked down upon humanity and all the sin that had occurred before Jesus came onto the scene and all the sin that continues to this day 
that God would look at this world and he would say, I will provide the solution to this problem. I will provide the sacrifice that is capable to bring about the forgiveness of sins. And from the time sin entered into the world, we see as we read throughout the Old Testament that Jesus is foreshadowed, that there are many things in the Old Testament that are a type of what is to come that are pointing us forward to the Messiah. And we are pointed out many of those verses in the New Testament. They are reflected on by the New Testament writers. Hey, remember this verse that what, what that we see in what we call the Old Testament? This was talking about Jesus. This has been fulfilled through Jesus. And here Jesus is preparing to go into Jerusalem for the final time before he is going to give his life on a cross for you and I. And here he tells his disciples to go and to get to get this donkey and to bring this donkey to him. What, a, what an odd thing that they're just going to go and find this donkey and say, hey, we're going to take your donkey. And people are going to say, wait a minute, what are you doing? They're going to say, oh, the Lord needs it. And they're going to say, okay. Now, maybe this was supernatural. Maybe there's another explanation of this. But regardless of how this came about, all this transpired, that Jesus was about to obtain this donkey to ride into town on, we see an Old Testament passage that is referenced here. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we see these words that we see referenced by Matthew. Look, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, no doubt there would have been many people of Jesus' day that would have been familiar with the writings of the Old Testament prophets. And there were lots of things like this that that popped up throughout Jesus' ministry that should have been a flag that when people heard these things or saw the things that they were going to see that, hey, wait a minute, wasn't there something that the prophet Zechariah said in the Old Testament that, that, that one day there was going to be a king who was going to come, who was going to deliver God's people? And what was said of that king is that he would ride into town on a donkey. What a crazy thing for a king to ride into town on. It would have been much more fitting for a king to ride in on a white horse, perhaps. It would have been much more fitting for a king to ride in with trumpets blaring and, and someone leading the way saying, All rise, here comes the king. Now that seems like it would have been a fitting entrance for a king, but not so for Jesus. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his humility, and that is not any different here. Of all the things and animals, perhaps, that Jesus could have ridden in on, he chose to ride in on a lowly donkey, a beast of burden. But perhaps in some way that is fitting for Jesus, the one who said that we were to come to him if we were weary, weary and burdened. The one who wants to carry your burdens today came into town that day riding on a lowly donkey. Verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their robes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Now, I don't know 
exactly the history of, of this this laying robes on the road or cutting branches. I have researched it briefly in the past. I don't know, perhaps this is something that was done frequently for kings who were coming into town. Perhaps this was something that the people had chose to do in the moment as a way to honor Jesus, as a way to respect Jesus. Now, this crowd here who is before Jesus is obviously excited as Jesus is coming into town. Perhaps they have made that connection when they have seen Jesus making that journey and beginning his way into town. They have seen for three years now the miracles that he has done. They have heard him preach. They have heard him teach. They have seen his grace and compassion. They have seen him do the work of God. They have seen who Jesus is, and many have believed at this point that Jesus is the Messiah. And if further evidence or proof is needed, the very words of Zechariah are here fulfilled as Jesus comes into town riding on a donkey. And here are the crowds that are rejoicing over Jesus. And they are placing their robes into the street. And they are placing their palm branches for Jesus to walk over or to ride over as he is entering into town. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? Can you imagine the excitement of the crowds who were there? Would you and I have been there? If we would have heard that Jesus was coming, if we would have known about what Jesus had done, his works, his miracles, if we would have heard his preaching, would there be an excitement among us? Would we be eager to see Jesus? Well, perhaps we would say, yes, we would be eager to, but are we eager to see Jesus today? Is there any excitement for us today as we read the Word of God, as we see what Jesus has taught, as we see how Jesus has lived? If there is no excitement for us for the, about the works and the teachings of Jesus today, then it's likely we would not have been excited about Jesus in those days. Hopefully we today in this room are excited about Jesus. And you may say to yourself, I'm not excited about Jesus. What is there to be excited about? We are to be excited about the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He did not come to simply be an earthly king and to rule in a castle and to have his way and for people to serve him. But instead, Jesus humbly came to serve you by giving his life on a cross so that in our sin we would not die and be separated from God, so that we would not die and face God's punishment, but that we could be forgiven. If we say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the king. If we humble ourselves before him and rejoice in him and put our faith in him in the way that this crowd did all these years ago, then we will be in a good spot. Many in the crowds knew who Jesus was. They believed who Jesus was. They trusted what Jesus said and they flocked to him. They flocked to him. What about you and I? Do we see Jesus in the pages of Scripture? Do we see the work of God? Do we see the works that Jesus has done? And do we say, Jesus, I want to come to you. Jesus, I want to praise you. Jesus, I want to put my faith and trust in you. That's what the crowds did here at this time. Verse 9, Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those 
who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, Hosanna there is a beautiful word. This is probably a reference to uh, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 here. And Hosanna is a, is a word of praise, but more specifically, it's a word that means save us. Save us, son of David. They recognized who Jesus was. They recognized that he was the king to come. They recognized that he was the son of David. They recognized that they needed to be saved. That's where we start. We must realize that we are sinners, each and every one of us in this room. Our sins are all different, perhaps, but in some way, perhaps we all sin in the same ways. Regardless of what sin you struggle with the most, what sin is in your life, you are a sinner. There are things in our life that should not be there, and they are not good for us. There is a reason why God tells us not to sin. Ultimately, it's because God doesn't want us to come under his judgment, but he wants us to be saved, first and foremost. But not only that, uh, in an eternal sense, but, but, but sin leads to trouble in our life. Our sin gets us into trouble. Our sin causes us all kinds of pain and suffering in this world. We've been talking in Sunday school in the book of James, and today we've talked about the tongue and how our tongue gets us into all kind of trouble. There are so many things in our life, sin in our life, and maybe it's opening our mouth that just gets us in one thing after another, and our sin is dangerous to us. It is unhealthy to us. It leaves us depressed and angry and bitter. That's what our sin does for us, and even in this life. God does not want us to live that way. God wants us to live in peace. God doesn't want us to carry our burden. He wants us to take our burden of sin, and Jesus said, give it to me. God wants to give you peace today, and that peace comes through Jesus Christ. But we must acknowledge and we must admit that we need to be saved. Saved from what? We need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from our temptations that we so often give into. We need to say, God, I've been living for the world, and it ain't working out for me. It has left me in a bad place, but God, I want to be delivered from this. So, Lord Jesus, save me. Hosanna to the Son of David. Save me, Son of David. Save me, the Messiah who was to come. We see all throughout the Old Testament these references of the Messiah who was to come. Here we see a reference to that by the language that is used, the Son of David. We see this uh, a couple of times in the New Testament at least. And this language uh, is probably a good indicator that these that this crowd here recognized who Jesus was based on a scripture from the Old Testament, from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, when God uh, made the covenant with David, it says this, When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will be to build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
So there was one who was coming from the family line of David who in fact was a son of David. Now you may say, well, wait a minute. He, David wasn't Jesus' father, but, but that language is, is common throughout Scripture. When you say that they're the son of somebody, it's simply saying a descendant of them. And, and, and through David, God established this covenant. He said, look, David, there is coming one from your family line and he will be a king whose kingdom will be established forever. And so this crowd of people that was constantly around Jesus and this crowd who was worshiping here in this passage, they obviously were looking for Jesus. Now, perhaps there were some of Jesus' day who were not looking for him. And whenever Jesus came on to the scene, uh, they did not find him because they weren't looking for him or simply because they did not like what Jesus had to say. There were occasions where Jesus, he spoke pretty sternly about some things that were going on. He, he held people to a much higher standard, perhaps, than they were used to. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is, is, is addressing perhaps some misconceptions of, of what God's people thought his law was about. And Jesus says, no, 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 you, you're living by the letter of the law, but... But you don't understand, here's why God said to do this. Here's the real point behind this. Here's, here's what you really need to do. And so for those of Jesus' day who were merely religious, well, perhaps they did not want to be righteous because to be righteous may require more of us than living by the letter of the law. And what Jesus called us to was difficult. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, holy smokes. That's really difficult. How many ways does that apply to our life? In many ways. So if we follow those two commands, and perhaps there are many things that we are made aware of. Wait a minute. If I do this, is this loving to my neighbor? If I do that, is that loving to God? And so those two simple commands are really all we need to live by. And should we live by those, we will fulfill what God has called us to. But many people didn't care about the commands of Jesus, even though they knew full well the word of God. While some uh, brought their branches and brought their coats and laid them at the feet of Jesus as he was passing through, there were many who were there that day who did not like Jesus or the things that he had been preaching and teaching for all these years or the miracles that he has been doing. We see that as we uh, look at uh, John's account of the triumphal entry and John chapter 12 verse 19 the Pharisees were there and then the Pharisees said to one another you see you've accomplished nothing look the world has gone after him so not everybody was excited about what was going on the scene is so beautiful. The Son of God riding into town on the donkey. The crowds shouting and praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Son of David. The King has come. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful scene. Except for those who were standing to the side and was as mad as they could be. Look at this. We've accomplished nothing. The Pharisees had been trying to silence Jesus for a long time. We see, and this is good homework if you want homework this week, if you go back and read in John 11 and into John 12, Jesus had just worked a miracle, the greatest miracle you could argue, I believe, that there is. 
His friend Lazarus had died. And Jesus eventually made his way back to where Lazarus was. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now what would be our response today? If I was to tell you that somebody you know had died a few days ago, and I were to tell you today, good news, that person is alive, you'd say, no way. I'd say, yeah, he is, come see. And we, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't know what to do. I, I suspect I would be shocked. I mean, maybe we've read the story so many times, we say, oh yeah, I'd be right there proud. But we probably would be shocked. We wouldn't know what to, wait a minute, was, was, he, was he really dead? Maybe he really wasn't dead. Maybe they made a mistake. We would be shocked if we saw such a thing, as I'm sure many of the people of Jesus' day were. But here is Jesus. He's done all these miracles. He's turned water into wine, and he's fed all these thousands of people with a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and all these great things that Jesus has done. And now Jesus has done gone and raised somebody from the dead. Holy smokes. Now you would think at this point in time that anybody around would have said, this guy... I didn't know about him before, but I better start paying attention because this guy, maybe he is the son of God. But that was not the case for everybody. That was not the case for the Pharisees at all. They saw what Jesus did with Lazarus. And do you know what the Pharisees said? Praise God! No, that's not what they said. That would have been fantastic if they would have said that. That's not what they said. You know what they said? They got together and they said, we need to kill Lazarus. Holy smokes! Wait a minute. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just raised a man from the dead, and your response is to kill the miracle? Whoa! At the beginning of John chapter 12, they're talking about that. Whether they succeeded in that, I don't know. I don't know that Scripture tells us if they were ever successful in killing Lazarus. Perhaps they did. Perhaps they killed Lazarus on the spot. Uh... Perhaps Lazarus went on to live a long life and die of natural causes. Perhaps they killed Lazarus at a later date. I don't know. But maybe in the context of that story where this passage that I read falls there toward the end after the triumphal entry, maybe it's connected to those events since that seems to be a key event in the context of John's accounting. Perhaps they had killed Lazarus at this point thinking it would, it would deter people from following Jesus. Even if they had not killed Lazarus, they had no doubt made many efforts to silence Jesus. But what did their efforts get them? Absolutely nothing. They have given everything they could to try to discount who Jesus was and get people to turn from Jesus. And in John 12, 19, the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. You've accomplished nothing. This is a good reminder to us that God's plan will not be stopped. That there is nothing that will stand in the front of God's plan and God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spreading of God's kingdom. It will not stop. So long as people live in this world, they will be like these Pharisees. They will see the miracles of God. They will see the word of God. They will see the works of God. And they will say, kill them. Do away with anything that has to do with God. But I will promise you, God's word will prevail. There is nothing that will stop the work of God. No matter how bad this world may get, the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to spread. 
So don't lose heart, brothers and sisters in Christ. We may look around this world and we may at times say, well, man, people are trying to kill God all over the place. They're trying to get him out of this. They're trying to get him out of that. They don't want nothing to do with God. Well, hold tight. Hold tight because they didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. But even in their best attempts up to this point, they had still not been able to stop Jesus. They still had one attempt left, which they thought would be a surefire win. Spoiler alert. That was unsuccessful too. They wanted to kill Lazarus. That wasn't going to be sufficient. So they decided to kill Jesus. But guess what? If Lazarus raised from the dead and was killed again, Jesus was not. Jesus was raised eternally. So here are the Pharisees. They have seen the preaching and heard the preaching of Jesus, and they probably didn't like it because it, as we would say, stepped on their toes. There are times that you hear a preacher say something you don't like. You don't like what he says, not because what he said is wrong, because what he said is right. Now, I have that problem too. Sometimes I hear preachers or I read God's word and I don't like what it has to say because it steps on my toes because it's right. So maybe when we hear God speak to us through his word or through a messenger, maybe instead of rejecting that and not wanting to hear it and plugging our ears up, maybe we need to stop and say, okay, maybe I need to listen to this even more than I want to. But the Pharisees said, no way. We have heard all of this guy that we are going to, going to, to hear. We have seen all of this guy that we are going to see. These folks that are standing in this street drive me nuts. How dare they praise this man? Blasphemy, they would say, that people would praise this man as the son of God that he is the son of David, that he is the Messiah, that he is the king. No king that's going to save us, the Pharisees probably thought, would come into town riding on a donkey. But they missed Jesus. They totally misunderstood who Jesus was. Jesus was a humble servant. Let us not miss that fact about Jesus today. Luke chapter 19 also gives us a little different detail. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 Verse 28 through 40, excuse me, is where you can, you can find Luke's account of the triumphal entry should you want to read that. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 38, the crowd says here, The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Now, that's not so unlike what we've seen here in Matthew's account. That is the crowds praising Jesus, recognizing who he is and here. A, a, a pointing to him that he is the king, and indeed he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And again, we see Luke records the Pharisees' response in Luke chapter 19, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And so these disciples of Jesus that were praising him and laying their branches down and putting their robes on the ground and saying, you are the king, you are the son of David, save us. The Pharisees were appalled at that. And they said, look, Jesus, you better do something to these people. Don't you hear what they are saying? They are praising you. They got no reason to be praising you in the way that they are. And the Pharisees were livid. They hated Jesus. But Jesus told them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. What a, what a powerful verse to think about. We see 
similar language perhaps in Isaiah 55 verse 12. You indeed will go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Perhaps that imagery there of, of even the creation praising God. We see in Romans that all the creation groans waiting for the day that all is made well through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, look, even if these people won't praise me, you're not going to praise me. But even if you people don't praise me, you Pharisees, even the stones would cry out to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But praise the Lord on that day. It was not left to the stones to cry out to Jesus Christ. But there were people there who had heard Jesus, who had seen Jesus, and they recognized he is the Messiah and he is the Savior that God has sent for us. What about in this room today? What of us? What would Jesus say to us? Do we rejoice at God's word today and who Jesus was throughout his ministry? Or would Jesus say to you today, even if you don't praise me, the stones will cry out. Let us not be those who deny Jesus and it's left to the stones to praise him. Let us be those who praise Jesus Christ. Let us be those who recognize Jesus is the Messiah. He is our Savior. There has never been another Savior before him. And there will be no Savior apart from him. Jesus Christ is your Savior today. If you would acknowledge him, if you would humble yourself before him, if you would say, Hosanna, save me, Son of God, forgive my sins. If you'd say that today, Jesus Christ would forgive you. And it's not even so much about the words that you utter. It's about the heart in which you utter them. Jesus Christ becomes our Savior the moment we put our faith in Him with our heart. The moment our heart acknowledges who He is. Let us pray to God today if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you, you feel that today that you need to put your faith in Him and, and your heart has changed, you are ready to trust Him. And call out to him today. There's no right or wrong words to say other than, God, forgive me. God, save me. God, I'll repent. God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. That is what Christianity is. That we acknowledge who Jesus is. That we praise him. That we put our trust in him. And that we humble ourselves before the one who humbly gave his life on a cross for us. So where do we stand today in this room? Are we those who hear the gospel and rejoice? Are we those who see the word of Jesus Christ and we do all we can to run from it? Let us not be guilty of being as the Pharisees were that day, but let us be those who humble ourselves before Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for this beautiful scene and the beautiful imagery we have in your words to remind us of these last few days of Jesus, dear Lord. He come into town that day, dear Lord, fully 
aware of what was awaiting him. But dear Lord, he came into town that day to fulfill his mission, to ultimately give his life on a cross for each one of us. God, I pray that everyone in this room would look to the pages of Scripture, dear Lord. That we would see the life of Jesus and the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God, let us read those. Let us live by those. Let us see who Jesus was and, and how he lived and what he did for each one of us. God, I pray that if there is one in this room, maybe, maybe they have been living like a Pharisee, dear Lord. Maybe they've been hearing Jesus for years now, just as the Pharisees had. But maybe they have never put their faith in Him. God, maybe they've come to church a lot. Maybe they've been religious. Maybe they've even done a few good things. But dear Lord, maybe deep down inside, they know that they're still living for themselves, that they're still living for the world. And they've never really put their faith in Jesus. God, if there are some in this room today that have not, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them even this moment. God, maybe there are some in this room today and they are yours already. But maybe there's something going on in their life that they just need to bring it to you, dear Lord. You call us to repentance, God. Our salvation starts when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins, God. So I pray that each one in this room today, God, would repent should there be a need. Perhaps there's something going on in each of our lives that we need to give to you. God, I pray that we would praise you, that we would praise you from our heart, that it would not just be a motions that we go through or just lip service, dear Lord, but that we'd honor you with our hearts and it would result in praise that comes from our lips just as this crowd showed us in this passage today. Save us, Lord. Save us, Lord, because we, we need you. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice and his humility. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his death. And most importantly, God, we thank you for his resurrection. I pray that we all have faith in that and find hope in that today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.